Um, no, it's awesome, awesome to be here, um, and we've, um, we've got a, a cool passage uh, lined up for tonight. Um, if you've got your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, 1 Peter chapter 2, um, and uh, we're keen to, the reason why we're having these three tables is um, Kirk's going to have a microphone, um, and right from the get-go, um, we're going to, this is going to be more of an interactive uh, discipleship group style session. Um, so we're really keen to hear um, throughout the course of the evening what it is that you guys are hearing, the questions that come up, anything that sparks your attention, things that don't make sense, things that are incredibly exciting that you've never seen before that you want to you know, testify of, um, all, that, all that sort of thing. Um, and so um, Rodney's going to kick us off. Oh, <laughs> Just hold on, just hold on to the mic. Now, Rodney, you'll know the time, mate. You'll know the time. <laughs> Rodney had a pre-warning of the scripture this morning, and he said, oh, maybe I'll go away and study it this afternoon. <laughs> so, I slept for two hours. <laughs> that speaks a lot than just that, doesn't it? Yeah, he's well, he's well rested, you know, he's ready to go. <laughs> All right, so we're going to start reading from... Uh, Verse 4, down to verse 12. All right, living stones, and coming to him as a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God, you also, as living stones, are being built up. Oh, sorry, for those who don't know, First Peter chapter 2, verse 4. You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This precious value, then, is for you who believe. But for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offence. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word, and to this doom they are also appointed. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvellous light. For you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the things in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, Glorify God in the day of visitation. <coughs> awesome verse, eh? Awesome little verse. And we've been looking at this, um, this theme over the last um, kind of four or five weeks of being conformed to his image. And every week we've been um, unpacking a different typology to paint a, a big picture of what it means um, you know, to be formed into the image of the Son. And so this evening we're looking at um, this passage, and the emphasis um, here is on true priestliness. 
Um, so we've heard so many different typologies. We've talked about, um, about sons being matured into the image of their father. We've talked about a bride being made ready for a bridegroom. And this evening in this passage, there's a number of other typologies, all of which are essentially proclaiming God's eternal purpose, which in essence in the spirit is the same thing. So here we're, we're seeing that... Um, that Peter's talking about the, the church of God being these living stones being built up um, into this spiritual house or this holy priesthood. Um, so as a panel um, and as a group, we're going to unpack that this evening. Um, Paul has specifically requested uh, greater participation um, and not just questions at the end, so that's why we're going to have this as more of, a, um, of an open dialogue. So we'll be really keen um, to, to hear from you guys throughout the course of the evening. Cool? Sweet as. All right, we'll start from verse 4. And coming to him as to a living stone which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Who'd like to kick us off with uh, what it means? to be these living stones. I love just the opportunity that uh, he gives us to sit and meditate. And having read this, I don't know how many times, and then just over the last a few nights sit again and just have the, the freshness of the Spirit start to reveal things to us. And you know, this, there's a direct link with this verse... <coughs> to what is prophesied in Isaiah chapter 28. <clears throat> and uh, you know, the Lord's actually telling the Israelites that there's going to be a, a cornerstone, a capstone that's going to come, one that they will actually reject. But just what, one of the things I pick up in this was this word to um, building a spiritual house and Realizing he's just, you know, the Spirit was just continually speaking it as a spiritual, spiritual, spirit. It's a spiritual house. It's of a spiritual nature, and yeah, you know, I've always looked at that. And I and I know um, we we had a, a marvelous evening one night of prayer and praise, and the Lord showed me a vision where this capstone, and you know, it says this this cornerstone, which the builders rejected, and they look at it and they go, oh. And, and for that actual physical structure, this was right, but they missed the spiritual connection with what was being spoken to them. So they look at this perfect cornerstone that has a chip in it, which it can't have. So they reject it, and they threw it aside. <clears throat> and so when it comes to the spiritual uh, word that was being given, it was this, this cornerstone. It says that Jesus had no form or beauty that we should desire him. He wasn't um, just all perfect in shape that we goes, oh, look, here's the sky, beautiful robes, you know, Rolex watch and all the rest of it. So he was rejected. And in this vision, I saw this, this big boulder, if you like, and just thrown behind them. And they carried on building this beautiful big building, this temple, on their cornerstone, Missing what's happening behind them. Now behind them it had rolled into this down the hill a bit and other stones were coming off the hills and they were rolling down 
and joining on, and this was just being built into this temple. And even then, I would see that and look at this physical thing. But this is a spiritual house. And he just reminded me, you know, when our kids were at school, they, and I, I probably had it, but that was a long time ago, so I can't even remember back then. Um, they had um, groups or houses that they were put into, the house of Carmichael, the house of Taylor. These were all great missionaries. And there were different houses that these people would connect into. Or we would have, you know, this is, this is raising our children. This is the Costello household. This is how we do things here. This is the Willis household. This is how we do these things. So uh, instilling into our children or into the people in this house the values that belong to that house. And here's this spiritual house where God is, is building that we're being built like living stones into the house that has and takes on those very same values that become ours. And again, when we look in, in that uh, um, scripture in Isaiah, it talks about justice and righteousness being formed within us. And that's a good example, eh? because that the house all of a sudden is not a physical building. What's being built up is the people of God, eh? You know, um, and I think to me that's the, the the essence here. That previously, you know, that what was being built was a physical temple, and Peter's saying, actually, as impressive as that physical temple is, what I'm about, what what God is is now building on the earth, is a people of his own possession. It's um, and and that's the building work. That's taking place, right? You know, um, and so it really is. It's it's a shift from what's earthly and natural and physical to what is um, ultimately eternal. Hey, you know. And, and I, the Lord was so detached. We were talking about earlier. He was so detached from everything of the earth. Got a Rolex watch? Well, do you want it? Don't have a Rolex watch? What's the problem? Yeah, you know, for him it was just totally detached. That we're becoming a people so detached from the way the world looks at these things. Look how marvelous this building is! Look at the stones. You can't even get a knife in between. Really, really. This all going to get pulled down. It's all going to turn to rubble. You know, it, I, not not even buying into that because I'm detached from the things that you know, and we heard so beautifully this morning about things that. I would put value on that's not of a spiritual nature and suddenly I get tied into this and it becomes something that's a bind to me because I'm bound up by trying to, this facade, when this truly is a work that's being done, you know, walk justly and righteously before the Lord. This is an internal work that only he can do in purity. And what a, it's such a meaty passage, eh? There's so much to go off in here. Um, so thanks for choosing this one, Sam. It's really cool. Um, yeah, coming to him as to a living stone. You know, just um, going on from what you're saying there, Paul. You know, who, who here knows what a cornerstone is? You guys are familiar with the picture of a cornerstone? Shall I talk a little bit about a cornerstone? So, in building, and now I'm not um, a builder of um, big stone buildings by any means. I was say, not a builder. <laughs> I'm not a builder of big stone Chris buildings. Builder. Bring Chris in for these passages. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, normally I, I build out of timber, but. Um, my understanding of a cornerstone is that they would have a stone which was a perfect 90 degrees on at least three sides, right? So they've got, um, so you can determine the length and the width and the depth, and it's got a flat 
it's got three flat faces on it at least. And so this thing, once it's set into the ground, they basically have the governance for the whole building. So everything for the building is based on the cornerstone. And, you know, there's, there's so much to go into on that. Um, one of the things that I kind of think about is when the cornerstone was laid, they had a celebration because it was such a big deal because effectively from this point they could see the structure of the building from there because, it was, because of what the cornerstone was. So that tells you how significant the cornerstone is. How big, how big would it be? Well, I think it depends on how big the building is, but let's say this, in some situations they reckon that if the cornerstone was pulled away, the building would collapse. So it's a decent size, it's not a little stone. Um, and there's heaps of passages that we've got that kind of tie into that, like um, Christ himself being the chief cornerstone built, and the church is built on the foundation of apostles and prophets, but with Christ being the chief cornerstone. It's not those little plaques that you see in the CBD, eh? No, those are, those are ornamental cornerstones, but the true cornerstone is a foundational cornerstone. And, you know, I just have this picture of these builders who, who have an idea about building, but they're building to an earthly model. So the, the Pharisees or the, the Sanhedrin or whoever it was had an idea of what it was that, was that needed to be built and were building according to their own sight of what needed to be built. So when the cornerstone turns up and it doesn't have the shape and the, and the angles that they want, they reject it because it doesn't fit their pattern, not realising that they needed to conform to a heavenly pattern rather than trying to make God in their own image, which is what we've all been so guilty of in our own times. And just one of the things that kind of, it, to me it ties in, and I, I, I shared this one night at Elders where I was just going through Daniel, and I'll, I'll read it to you from Daniel. So Daniel had this dream about this um, statue that was being built, and it had uh, a head of gold and shoulders and arms of silver and torso of bronze, and I think the legs were iron and the feet were iron mixed with clay. And this was Nebuchadnezzar's dream, and um, Daniel gave him the interpretation. And Daniel saw, basically saw Nebuchadnezzar's dream and interpreted it for him. And he said, he said this about the stone that was the one that destroyed the statue. And it's a really, really massive passage, even though it just falls into Daniel, and, and there's so much going on in Daniel anyway. Um, and he says, You watched while a stone was cut without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found. And the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. And to me, I'm like, this is the same stone. When I've pictured that stone, I always picture it as being a round stone. But, it, but all that it says is that this is a stone that was cut without hands, meaning man had no part in the construction of this stone. Mm. And that's why the builders didn't recognise it when it came, because they wanted to be a part of it. And yet this stone is the stone that's the foundation of this mountain that's going to fill up the earth. And it's, you know, the, this verse in Isaiah 28, 16, says, Therefore, well, this is the King James Version, okay? So, therefore, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I, I lay in Zion for a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, 
Yeah, that he learned obedience by the things that he suffered. A tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He that believeth shall not make haste. That's awesome, eh? And I think, like you're saying, Chris, uh, you know, that this would be cut without human intervention and without human effort, eh? You know, that even, you know, in, the, in these passages here, you know, as living stones being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood, you know, like he's saying, these are, these are not man made bricks that fit neatly and together. These are. These are stones that are being fitted together by the master craftsman, eh, you know? And I think to me, even as you're sharing about the, the cornerstone and how it holds everything, it almost is like the governing authority of the, of the building, you know? To me, because there's that foundation there, it actually gives liberty for there to be living stones that are fitted together, you know? Like, it actually invites, because it's safe, you know, and it's stable and it's secure, it invites um, unique expression with for every other stone because the building's not going to crumble based on that, you know? It's not it's not a building based on fear where you have to have every single part looking right and, and, and pre-planned and fitted together. Because of the firmness of the foundation, you can have these living stones of all shapes and sizes being fitted together to make up a greater whole. And that's a, obviously this is a, typo, a physical typology of who we are as a church, eh? you know? A unique bunch of individuals, you know, with different giftings, with different personalities, different expressions of Christ, not not um, put in a in a row and cut to the, exactly the same size to wear the same clothes and to say the same lingo, and you know, but but a beautiful oneness and and, and togetherness that's actually comes through not not through conformity but through diversity, you know. Because everyone is set according to the cornerstone, you know, the, the oneness is a spiritual oneness which allows a uniqueness of physical expression, eh, you know, and so there's a place for everyone as these living stones in this building, eh, you know, um, for, you know, for those who are extroverted and those who are introverted, for those who are musical, for those who aren't, for, you know, for those who enjoy reading for those who haven't read a page you know like it's it's not based on any earthly distinction you know um but everyone's required to play a role you know um and so that means no one's limited by their ability to contribute you know often rodney and i you know like if 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 something comes up rodney rodney goes for it we say taking one for the quiet guys you know (laughs) because there's a place because when when you when you're built together as living stones, your um, your value add in community is actually the measure of Christ that you carry, and it's ex- and it's expressed when you play your part well. You you be the best you that you can possibly be, you know, and you allow yourself. To, to contribute and to be formed as part of a greater whole, eh, you know. Um, so you're no longer just looking for someone else to play their role. You're being fitted with the others as part of a, a, a spiritual household that's being built up in, in God, eh? Yeah, I was are just there, thinking... Are there, ha- any, are there any problems associated with that? I mean, uh, is that, it sounds good, but it's, surely there's problems. There are far, far, <laughs> far more problems with this model. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question. It would be so much easier 
to have a, a way of talking, a, conf- a way of operating. There's no way we would allow for questions on a Sunday morning. We wouldn't allow for people to share over the microphone. We wouldn't allow people to say things from their seats because there is such, uh, there's such opportunity for people not... If, you, if you're building by, by bricks, there's such an opportunity. If one brick doesn't conform to the rest, it needs to be chucked out. Because it's not contributing to the building that's based on a foundation that's not the cornerstone. Hey, you know, if you, if you build on another foundation that's not Christ and the unity and the oneness is not found in him, then you need, some, you need an alternative. It's called conformity, you know. And so all of a sudden we are um, trying to create this culture where we all look the same, sound the same. But actually it's not true unity at all, you know. Um, we're trying to manipulate people. To, to fit our mold of, you know, and it's, it's disgusting, really, you know, like it's, um, I wouldn't want to do that to my kids, you know, let alone, but, um, but actually, so that's such a fantastic, fantastic question, you know, like it's, there is so much risk in, a, in this model outworking, but there's so much potential, you know, the risk is that if you don't play your role, then actually we don't reach the fullness of what God has intended for us as a spiritual household, you know? So there is a risk, but it's not risky if everyone is, is prepared and on board of what, what it is that God's doing and is, is actively participating in him and in our expression of, of community, eh? You know? So, sorry, oh, detour. Because uh, you think of it as a family, you know? And so we have family, we have children, we want all our children to be exactly the same. You know, I grew up family, six, six children. Did mum and dad want to have whatever, six tuplets that are all identical? Where's the, where's the, the diversity? And that's not taking away anything from anyone that's got identical twins. So, but uh, you hear what I'm saying? You know, we're, we're talking about, the, even with identical twins, there's, there's identity in the individuals. You know, and so this is what he's building. Remember, he's building us, being built as a spiritual house as we take on the very divine nature of God that the house now is expressing through all the individuals, the nature of God. And you know, the question that I had for, for all of us here is how do you see yourself? What's your experience as a living stone? Do you see yourself as a living stone, think of it not as a stuck on a building somewhere, but in the life of the family of God that you've been brought into, the house of God. And, and you have a part that's in that, being built, being raised. What's your experience? Yeah, and then it starts to um, paint almost another picture of uh, in First Corinthians where it says... Um, there should be no division in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honoured, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. And then when he says, God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, healings, helps, administrations, variety of tongues. And he's talking about what this body looks like fit together. And I, I just love that. It's so beautiful that in God's plan, like you said, Sam, there is absolutely room for you, for everyone. And I, I think that's so beautiful because, 
you know, man's model is cookie cutter, conformity, fit the mold. And God's like, I have created you uniquely in my image and have a place for you with me as the cornerstone. And that's the bit. So we don't get to go, I am who I am and chuck me in there. You know, and I see uh, the other part that I see about this is the. So, so I think you know we've talked about stones a little bit and how this house is built, but what it is that we haven't really seen ever, as far as I'm aware of, is living stones. What does a living stone look like? Where it's not just a stone that perfectly fits a place, but it's a living stone. Maybe it doesn't quite fit the place yet, but it can grow into that place. You know what I mean? And there's room for us in this body to accommodate, to grow together. And what a, what a beautiful picture we saw last week. And I, I'm sorry, I've forgotten who shared the picture, but it was to do with a puzzle piece. And we talked about that this morning, Kathleen. And, and this puzzle piece, she said, puzzle pieces have an arm on them. And the other one's got a, a socket. And together these fit together. And there's strength one from another. And if you try to pull a puzzle sideways apart, it doesn't always come apart because these things are interlocking. And I just see that as well where as living stones, there's a place for us to grow. And, there's, there's, and, it, and it is nothing of itself. What's a living stone going to do on the ground? It's not a building. One stone is in the building. But in the building which is being built without hands, that's our place. That's awesome, eh? Because it can be easy to have the the um, picture of these stones being set in concrete, yeah. and then when it's set, it's set. You know, this is you. This is your role. That's it. You know, <laughs> like. But actually, like you said, living stones—they're alive. They're dynamic. Yeah. You know, and I think to me, this is the the difference between the cookie cutter mold. Where if that is the case and you start to grow, you're actually taking someone else's place, you know? And so in that model, all of a sudden someone else's growth makes you look like you're you've got less of a role and you're less important and all of a sudden there's this oh, it's a it's all about me, it's all about you. We are almost like rivals and someone else's growth um essentially makes you feel insecure yeah. because it, make, it means that you think that you've got less of a role, you know? Um, all of a sudden, Chris starts leading the panel on a Sunday night and I'm like, oh my, go- oh my goodness, you know? My one opportunity, you know? But is, is it not the most, like, is that not the most ridiculous, you know? Like, because maybe there's a different ex- maybe there's a different expression for each other to play, and maybe that you know, and I think we need to flow as living stones, you know, that our um, that that because we are um, we, we're founded on that cornerstone, how we actually serve essentially doesn't doesn't matter. We're not bound by I'm just. I'm just a worship leader unless I'm leading, you know, or I'm, 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 just, a, I'm just a speaker. I just speak. That, that's my role, you know. Actually, it's to be a, a, a dynamic expression of his life within us, you know, so that in any given moment we can step into ministering by his, by his spirit and it might be outside of your normal, um, you know, 
10 a.m. to 12 p.m. Sunday expression, you know? What if there's someone in need during the week? Sorry, I'm not, a, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, off, I'm off the clock, you know? <laughs> it, it just, it sounds ridiculous, right, you know? But actually, when you're, li- when you're a living stone, you can flow and move based on his life in you, you know? So you can be a teacher, but you can prophesy at a prayer meeting, you know? Because when his spirit is moving and ministering, you're actually a priest according to this new order. It's called the order of Melchizedek, you know? And, um, you, know, and you know, it says in Hebrews that, it, that this new order of priests won't operate according to a, a law of physical requirements like the priests in the old um, um, priesthood according to Aaron. You know, their roles were clean cut. They, they needed to do this, 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 and this, and they had fulfilled their function. And it was right, and it was ordained of God. But he's saying, hey, I've got, I've got a new order, a new priesthood that's taking place on the earth. It's called the priesthood according to the order of Melchizedek. And he says it's not based on the law of physical requirement, but according to the power of an indestructible life. These are the new priests that he's raising up, you know. So this indestructible life is the life of Christ within you that you can um, you can be in him and operate and function in him and your gifting, but also outside your gifting as the Spirit leads um, and it's not bound and defined by any earthly expression or limitation. You're not, you're not a brick anymore. You're a living stone able to, to be in him and move with him, whether you're here on Sunday, whether you're at work, whether you're, just, um, you're talking with someone on the bus. It's a natural, ornate, organic life that comes from you um, because you're a true priest not a priest defined by a functioning role, but a priest defined by an indestructible life, you know? Um, and so this is, this is this priesthood that he's talking about here in, in First Peter, eh? So. It's, it's this, there's no other way to say it, but it's a spiritual work, and it's not, not done uh, according to the manner of the flesh. And this is what really... Um, got the Israelites in such a bind because they they just wouldn't accept. In fact, as you read through that through this, it says that they wouldn't accept the word that was being given to them. Hence, they rejected this. You know, and you 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 ask, you know, where do you see this? You know, it's it's a it's an expression of a true um, missional work because it's it's an expression of the of the nature now being fleshed out or um, experienced and expressed through this physical body. And you find them in Africa, um, because a missionary went through and found a lost missionary. He said, ah, Dr. Livingstone, I presume. (laughs) (laughs) Come on, that was good. (laughs) But but it really is. When when we grasp him, this guy was a missionary in Africa. His name was Livingstone. But the, the true expression... Of that missional nature, you know, you've heard heard Greg speak about that, is because that's an expression of the living stone, no longer living for self, no longer being conformed to this. Well, you've got to actually. Well, it's not an order of Melchizedek. That's that's a wrong family line. In fact, it's not even a family line. Mm. It says no because it's spiritual. This is the order that Christ comes in, and he then talks about us as where we find this another. Um, linked to that is in Romans 12, 1, where it says, you know, therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. This is what living stones do. 
offer their bodies as living sacrifices. How do you get there? Not by being conformed to the pattern of this world that says, actually, you have to be a Levite if you want to go anywhere near this. It says, no, you're transformed now by believing in Christ, the one who has sent this capstone, this cornerstone, that will become a stumbling block unless you believe it. You're going to keep tripping up on it because you can't get away from it. And it's through this transformational work that we are being built up. And through this, this eating and the feeding, the, the building up continues. That's why we need each other. Rodney, do you, you feel like jumping, jumping in here? <laughs> I actually, something that's just, just kind of with it is it's a living stone, which is the same substance as the cornerstone, which was kind of, awesome. Awesome. I thought was pretty cool, just kind of like, you know, it's not wood, it's not living wood, but it's a stone. So. And, that's what it, and that's what it says, eh, you know, it says, um, and coming to him, Christ, as a living stone which has been rejected by men. But as choice and precious in the sight of God, you also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. You know, yeah. It talks about He's the living stone, and then it says, "And you also, the same, the same living stone that that He is." A you know. So what does that make us? How did God just describe? How did God just describe Jesus? And that Sam just said, "Precious, choice, and precious." So what does that make us in God's sight? Choice and precious. Here's another question for you. Do you see yourself as choice and precious? God does. Um, Yeah. yeah. Um, Does he... The area of maturity, which is what you like about the whole spiritually, is what we like. What you like about this, this, um, how we are in, in Christ, is the maturity that that you know that it is. And yeah, I'll just comment on the maturity of what that means, of what this all means. And yeah, maturity. So um, one of the one of the things that um, stands out there to me is that he, I mean. This is what he does. He paints this picture of what's beyond what's right in front of us. And I love this picture. He says, you are living stones. You're being built up as a spiritual house for a purpose. To offer up spiritual sacrifices, uh, to, be a, to be a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So for me, that is the maturing process that... That the moment that we have Christ in our lives, we become like Him in in that interaction, where all of a sudden you're a living stone. Allow Him, the master builder and architect, to build you into the structure that He's building. This is this is our our journey and our process, right? So that we allow Him to continue to build according to His design. That and in the process of this, our lives start to look like this. And I just, um, you know, talking about the process there, and we talked about this this morning, where I, I talked about Christ as the forerunner or the prototype. You know, he's the, he's the example. He's the firstborn of many brethren. And what does it say about him? A living stone rejected by men. That's number two on the list. This is who he is. This is what happened, but chosen by God and precious. And then you go... 
if God is for me, who can be against me? If God's definition of me is that I am chosen and precious, then what's the rejection of men? You said in the apostles when they were brought before the Sanhedrin, who should we listen to, you or God? It's a rhetorical question. Don't even answer it. You'll get it wrong. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, and, and this is... It's like one of Greg's questions. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I can make that joke. He's probably listening on the recording. Eh? <laughs> yeah. I'm kidding. There's I'm a kidding. Knock, there's a knock at the door. Oh, who's that? He's back. Um, I'll be out next week. You know? <laughs> but, you know, Christ as our example, well, we can actually expect the same process. That if we are going to be conformed into his likeness and built into his building, construction, body, all of these things, and this is how I see this, um, he's the living stone rejected by men, chosen by God and precious. We are also living stones being built up into the spiritual house. Well, oftentimes that looks like being rejected by men, which is actually what builds us so often because in the... In this process, our faith is like gold, which is tried by fire. And sometimes there's no other way. You've got to go through the hard to get to good, you know? Um, yeah, so us like him, we like him are being built into him by him. Gosh, you can't take him out of this, can you? <laughs> cool. Any other things burning on people's uh, hearts or questions people have? After Warren, last one, and then there'll be opportunity for others. There has to be a kind of purpose for this, I think. Yeah. Yeah, of course there is. Yeah. Absolutely. This is, I think, what we're, I think what the um, picture that we're trying to paint is that ultimately we're using a typology of a, of a spiritual house, of these living stones of this building. But the, the purpose is actually that, that we are the building, you know, and we are being built. Um, you know, the, the theme of these evenings is being conformed into his image. And so while we're using typologies, there, there is a purpose that, that God is looking to see outworked through these, through these evenings, you know. And it's not that you go away with a better understanding of the scriptures. It's that we would actually become the people that he prophesies us uh, about us to be in, in here, you know? And so if, if we leave here knowing a bit more about the priesthood and a bit more about the cornerstone and know a little bit more about building, because Chris is on the panel tonight, <laughs> that's cool, you know? But ultimately what we're looking to do is, is to leave here having received the substance of the word of God within us and walk out these doors more of a priest than when we came in. Yeah, you know? exactly. um, and so there very much is a, a purpose in, in all of this. It's our transformation. You know? It's being formed. It's, it's, it's becoming, you talked about maturity before, Warren. You know? And this is, like Chris was saying, this is the maturing process, being built up, becoming like him and... and um, you know, Rochelle asked you know one of the questions this morning. Essentially, I can't remember the exact words. Essentially, it's like, what does all of this actually mean? You know, is what, is what I heard. And it's like, this this is this is about us being like him in every way. You know, it's it's like um, you know this this transformation, this this building process. While we're talking about physical buildings, it's actually you know it's it's about having love formed in us for other people. You know. 
um, it's, it's having a passion for God implanted in our heart that we can't get away from, you know? It's, it's about being set free from the worry and care and anxiety of the daily grind and having our perspective lifted to see who he's called us to be, you know? It's about having a sense of identify, uh, identity solidified within us that we, we know who we are and are able to be rejected by men because we know who we've been chosen to be before the foundations of the earth. So this is, in, in my mind, this is real stuff. You know, this is, we talked about, this is more important than the All Blacks. You know, it's more important than a game. This is eternal life that we're talking about. Um, so it's really valuable and it's a big, it's a big deal, right? So, cool. Thank you, Warren. Some really awesome questions tonight. Um, does anyone else have anything that they want to share or input that they comments? Lindley, the mic is very quickly heading in your direction. So just what do you think the connection is between the priesthood and the living stones? Like why are those two things been put together in that way? How do they fit as a picture? It, it is a good question because I was about to put the same question out in the... No, I said I was about to ask the question <laughs> um, well, because the, the, the talk around the, the, um, the cornerstone and the living stones is that uh, like living stones are being built into a spiritual house that's, that's fine now it says what for to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices that are separate Acceptable, acceptable to God. Well, what is a priest? And what are these spiritual sacrifices that these living stones are now doing? So the, the question I would put out is, is it's, to me it's the same thing, is, well, what does that look like? What, what, what is a, do we have robes on? Do we, with, yeah, incense? What are these spiritual sacrifices? Well, surely we're not slaughtering a, a ram or a bull anymore. So what are they? I know, I know what I've got in my mind. What do you guys think? Um, well, when I look at it, I go... It's, it's funny because this is where, and Greg says this often, the words can trip us up. It's, it's actually not a house. These are just images to help us, to help facilitate a picture that he's trying to express. So for me, I go... <clears throat> These living stones, which actually aren't even a thing, but we can kind of wrap our head around what they might be through pictures, um, are being built up into a spiritual house. Well, this spiritual house that we're being built into is a body. You know what I mean? And so I go, we are this one body, and that's why when I was reading First Corinthians before, it's actually talking about the body being many members and how if one suffers, every, you know, one on it, one's honoured, everyone rejoices, because even though we're living stones in a house, we're touching each other, we're interlocked, we're engaged, we're in this, in this dynamic relationship, which 
to me is the same picture as this priesthood, you know, because this this building isn't isn't built to just stand there, you know. It's actually it it has a function as well. Um, yeah, and I think you know it says in the scripture um, we're being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priest, uh, for, um, yeah, for a holy priesthood, uh-huh. you know. So the house, the spiritual house, is for the holy priesthood. And to me, in my mind, you know, the typology is obviously from the like the priesthood according to Aaron, right? And you had a a physical man as a, who was the priest who ministered in the temple, right? And to me, there are there are two parts of a of a package, really. You know, it's, you've got the, the the priest who would come in minister once a year in the holy of holies. And, and it had to be done in in the temple in a particular way in a, a particular order. To me, that's the that's the connection, you know. So he's now saying, what used to be a physical priest entering and ministering in a physical temple is now a spiritual people ministering to one another in love because the temple is not a building. We're not we're not building the rock, yeah. you know. In, in actual fact, you know, there's less building going on in the rock than ever before, but actually there's much more building happening than ever before because the building is not actually physical. It's, it's the people that are being built. Does that make sense? And so now there's a requirement for the, um, for the priests not just to minister in earthly natural things. The priests need to minister something that's truly heavenly and divine because what you need and I need is not a physical temple. We need to receive living mana. We need Christ's nature. And so all of a sudden, priestliness is no longer about Sunday morning ministry, a, a physical, earthly, natural expression of that preaching, teaching, that's not ultimately ministry. The ministry is the ministry of God, the Holy Spirit himself, as the priests of God minister to, that, to the household of God, and we are being built up as that spiritual house. Does that make sense? You know, so it's, in my mind, those, are, those who are ministering are not ministering natural things. They're ministering the substance of Christ so that when we meet and dialogue, we're eating and drinking of him and the household is being built up. And so to me, this is what's so awesome is that the priests are no longer the hotshot minister. The priests are all of us, you know, and you can maintain, to to be honest, most of the modern day church operate through the Aaron priesthood order. Because they have one man on the stage who ministers and their ministry is about, it's about building a crowd or building a, um, a pumping service or, do you see what I'm saying, you know? That's actually according to the order of Aaron. It might look quite, you know, may, they might not be slaughtering sheep in the middle of the auditorium, <laughs> but the spiritual heartbeat is actually according to that order. But God is raising up a new order according to the order of Melchizedek, where the priests of God are ministering to God, and, and their worship and their singing is not thinking about what's happening around them or making a noise or, you know, it's actually for him, you know. And their ministry here is not just to 
play a functioning role, it's because they actually love one another. You know, we, we love each other. You see potential in each other. You see who God has called the person sitting next to you to be. So you speak into what it is that God is doing, not in a building, but in, in the household of God. You know, does, that, does that answer your question? You know? um, so fan, absolutely fantastic question. And I think, yeah, so that's a really long-winded answer, but two parts of a... <laughs> yeah. Cool. All right. Any other? I was going to say something, but I feel like you've already answered it. But all I was going to say was that um, I, f- I feel like that there's quite a fluid fluidity between the stones and the, the, the um, building and the priests. And um, going back to what you were talking about earlier, Sam, of... You know, we can have a, a set gift, um, but that doesn't limit us to just that. So just as there can be a time where I'm being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood, so I'm, I'm a part of surrounding them and covering them, but other times I'll step in to be the holy priesthood that is surrounded and covered by the body so that it's... it's both and all and, you know, yeah. rather than one or the other, right. it's, it's, it's everything and, and, and all and moving backwards and forwards and, and around as required, as I mature, um, you know, like there's, there's a bunch of moving parts that's and only he knows how to move them, basically, yeah. Absolutely. And, and with these things, you know, he says you are... Um, a royal priesthood, you know, so it's priestliness is not something that you go in and out of, you know, it's it's because it's who you are, you can then minister and you can express that in in different situations at different opportunities because it's it's you, you know, so I think ultimately you are a royal priesthood, you are also a living stone, you know, Um, it was always supposed to be both, you know, and it's, to me it's how, how can you be a son and a bride at the same time? You've either got to be somehow like transgender or this is actually a spiritual typology of something that has nothing to do with your biological makeup, yeah. you know? Yeah, and so how can, you, how can you be a, a bride and a son? How can you be... How can you be... The building that the priest ministers in, and the priest, yeah. you know, um, you know, Jesus doesn't he talk about like? There's a I feel like there's a, um, there's a parable somewhere, and he says like, "I am the good shepherd, the but I'm also the gate <laughs> that the shepherd comes in." Yeah. Excuse me, you know, like the these are all typologies, and they, they they proclaim they they all shed a different light on what ultimately is the same thing, you know. It's who he is, and it's who we are to be in him, you know. And just as he's a living stone, we are being built up as those living stones, you know, um, the firstborn, and then the many brothers of yeah. that that firstborn, you know. That's right. so. Of them, and so there's like an expectation from from the Lord for us to be doing this. Yeah, well, he he's he's living from a completed work, right? And where he's calling us into who he already sees us as. You know, we're we're credited with all of these things. Um, just on that 
um, that same thing, Sam. You know, I, I, I see this in this passage where, you know, um, Jesus in the, in the Sermon on the Mount says, be like your heavenly Father who makes his rain to fall on the just and the unjust, makes his sun to shine on the righteous and the unrighteous. And then I see this. So there's a standout word in this passage to me, which is the word precious, and it's a, it's a different version to Sam's, but it's the same thing, and it says... Coming to him is to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. And then you go to verse 6, and he says, Therefore it's contained in Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes in him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. And I go, this belief allows us to see like God sees. So all of a sudden he's not just precious in God's sight, but as we believe what it is that God's saying, we see like he sees, which empowers us to live according to Christ being precious. You know, so, so, so valuable, right? Peter, like we said this morning, you've got the words of eternal life. Precious. The, um, one of the things that, that was just, striking me as you were asking that question about, and as I talked in there about well, what are these spiritual sacrifices and said, well what are the sacrifices that God desires a broken contrite heart broken spirit because the very essence of what you're saying that we then minister one to another comes from that place of not a place of pride but a place of brokenness before him that he is building us and now the expression is this this way of love that each one fits together being who they are and free free to be that and not having to compare myself against somebody else but actually grow in the maturity of Christ as I continue to be this this Living stone. I mean, and I love what you're saying because they keep going through my world. We're living stones. We're building. We're the sun. We're a bride. Um, we're a vine. You know, well, what are we? Well, we're a new creation, and we're not. We're not in this this compartmentalized way. I love that the um, scripture says, "Look, I'm I'm doing a completely new thing here, and it's uh, you're an alien." It's an alien thing that God's doing, Isaiah says, and it's an alien thing when we think that we're no longer uh, bound to the earth and the earthly ways. I've made one new man. There's no longer Jew and Greek, um, even male and female. And it goes on and says Scythian, barbarian, you know, black, white, Chinese, New Zealand. It's... It's wrong, this wrong way of thinking. And, and the way he was saying that, you know, I was, I'd heard it before, I checked it and had another look at it, I thought, mm, that's kind of unique. Because to, to be saying to somebody in, in that culture and at that time, you know, Jew and, or even the Greek and a Scythian, my goodness, you can call me one with anybody, but don't call me one with a Scythian. They're the worst of the worst of the worst. <laughs> He says, but it's not about that. You still look at a, at a, um, at a house that's def- defined by a culture. And this is a house that's defined by the kingdom of heaven. And I'm brought in no longer in the lineage of family that's defining us, but I'm defined by the very 
God who made me and brought into his kingdom, into his family. And what's going to keep me from actually living in the life of that is pride in my own nature. And that's why it requires the spiritual sacrifice of a broken and contrite heart to be able to receive this and now live, live in the total expression of being a vine, of being a stone, of being a bride, being a son, being a friend. And I think it brings us nicely to verse 9, you know, where it says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvellous light. For you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You know? And like you're saying, you know, this being this new creation is not based on any natural tie or any biological um, bloodline, hey, you know, and that he says, but you are a chosen race, you know, and I just feel yeah, you know, and I just think of like, like all the stuff I've been thinking about this during the week, you know, all the stuff going on around the world to do with racism, you know, black and white, you know, and it's almost like here in the, in the, in the scripture and in, in God's eternal counsel, he just flings all of that out of the window, you know, and says that actually you're a chosen race, whether you're black or white, you know. This is, this is more than the, the tone color of your skin. It's more than who your parents are. It's, it's more than who you thought you, would, you, you ever were, you know. It's about a born again life, you know. And imagine if, um, you know, black and white receive the substance of what God says about who he has chosen them to be from the beginning, you know? There wouldn't just be um, protests, you know, but there would be people seeing the potential in one another and being able to, to love one another. People wouldn't have to protest for their rights um, or, you know, any, any, anything like that. And of course the world is going to do what it's going to do, but ultimately that kind of activity isn't the remedy for what ultimately is a much bigger and deeper issue, you know? It's lack of identity and lack of knowledge of who God is and who we are. Because if we knew who we are, a chosen race, it would liberate us from all of that chaos on everything that's going on and bring us into a brand new way of thinking and seeing where regardless of your race, you would see the value and potential in people. And when you speak to them, you speak to them as a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. You see beyond the natural, you see beyond your natural lens. You know, it says that Jesus wouldn't judge by what his eyes saw. He saw beyond the outer appearance to what the potential that lay in people having been created in the image of God and being predestined to become an actual expression of that image through this maturing and building work that we've talked about this evening, you know? And so it really is, it sets all of these things that people wrangle about. And I'm not saying it's not important because it is absolutely important that there is justice and that there's that people are treated fairly and right, but there's something that will set us free and that 
will elevate us above all of that and will actually having us live lives of righteousness where both the persecutor and the victim uh, are made whole and can stop living in that um, dark place and start living from God's reality and his perspective. Eh? Yeah, I mean, as I said earlier in, the, in Isaiah, around this whole thing around the cornerstone, he says, Joe, you know, um, they refused to what he was looking for them to um, live justly and Righteously, and the problem is that when you stick it in um, some sort of um, national context, well, each each one is looking for their own version of what is just or what is right. When he brings it right back to this, that actually he sets a standard that you can walk um, justly and righteously in Him in this this place of the oneness. <clears throat> yeah, I, I've been thinking over that same thing. Um, but I, I, I think there's even more to it than that. You know, I, the moment that you start to live from a fleshly identity, a.k.a. the skin that you were born in, the country that you were born in, it's easy to take on the attributes of that as well. And, and I love what it says in uh, verse 10, who were once not a people but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy but now have obtained mercy. And I just think about David and Bathsheba, you know, in that moment you were talking, Paul, where he said, a broken and contrite heart. And he says, who alone have I sinned against, O Lord? It's you. And, you know, our God is a God of justice and mercy. And so the moment that we accept Christ into our lives and ask, we turn, we, we repent of our own way and, and start to walk on his way, we have received forgiveness from the one that paid the price for everything. So the moment you start to get into identity politics and who owes who what, it's a pretty slippery slope, I believe. There's only one who's carried the cross for everyone, who's taken it all, who's paid it all, and who has the capacity to give complete forgiveness and go, not only are you not bound by the skin that you're in, your gender, whatever that is, you're also not bound by the things that will try to attach you. You're also not bound by the mistakes that you've made in your life because God has pronounced you free. Now, it doesn't mean that there isn't uh, sometimes an outworking of repercussions. If I've robbed a bank and asked God for forgiveness, I'm still going to do time for it. But what it means is that in terms of the guilt that I carry, yeah. he's carried it. And so I think that one of the dangers that I, that I see that's trying to rear its head in the world is that people are trying to diminish the magnitude of what it is that Christ actually did for us. If God says we are forgiven, we are forgiven. If he says that we've obtained mercy, we've obtained mercy. And who's going to come against that? And so I feel like... You know, the blessing out of all of this, these things that are turning up is that they force us to go, have I gone along with some things that aren't true? What do I think about this? What's my position on that? God, what is it you're building? Does it look like what I think I'm in? And just allow him to speak to that because he does. He's, he is truth. He's always in the business of opening eyes, bringing clarity, setting free, continuing to enlighten our understanding, giving us illumination. And so I just, I think that's so, so powerful, you know. And um, I guess, uh, you know, the, the first, one of the massive instances that I see of that is when 
um, Peter went to the Jew, uh, went to the Gentiles as a Jew, and he turned up with his friends, and the Holy Spirit was magnificently poured out on the Gentiles in the first time that that had ever really happened, and then. He kind of goes back to his old way of thinking a little bit and hasn't really grasped the fullness of what it is that God's doing. And, you know, Paul's in that same process. But basically they, they came together because there are people saying, oh, you still need to be circumcised, you still need to do this. There's all these rules and regulations. And it just says this in Acts, Acts um, 15. Now the apostles and elders came together to consider this. And when there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said to the men and brethren, You know that a good while ago God chose among us that by by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us and made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Thank you, Jesus. All right. Any any further thoughts or questions? Or, I just wait. I just said. Remember, I said last one, and then we'll just let others have a go. Yeah, yeah. We'll just park it for one second. Sorry. We'll give others a, a go, and then if no one else has any, then well, we'll come back. <laughs> Famous last words, eh? <laughs> and I hold more into that. This final question. <laughs> Um, just on the racism thing, I I wonder if, I don't know, this is a question and I'm not really sure and I'm, I haven't formulated this in my head properly yet, but I worry about the oversimplification of it um, because although we are one culture in Christ, a lot of us are intrinsically racist and carry that even in church. And I think if we oversimplify it by saying things like, we're all forgiven, we all receive... Yeah, yeah, exactly. We're not necessarily being true about our own failings and actually loving everybody. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So probably that's kind of my concern and that's kind of my question about, like, as the body, how are we really addressing our own racism and how are we really considering the fact that we have to truly come alongside each other? And that means acknowledging the fact that people who do come from a different cultural background have a right to express themselves in a different way. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. And good one for saying that, Jackie, because what I wasn't trying to do by by speaking the big picture is diminish anyone's experience, whatever it is people have walked through, because absolutely. Um, and I'm sure that there would be many people that have experienced racism, regardless of your colour, because you actually can, right? Um, and... Um, and there's also the cultural thing, which is um, significant in terms of how you see the world potentially, um, how you might express yourself. So there's massive amounts of factors in that. I think probably the short answer is that we're all on a journey. We're all coming into the fullness of what freedom truly is. So whether that looks like me going, 
I have a bias and I haven't seen it yet, but allowing truth to step into my life, open my eyes and set me free, or or going, um, people are trying to put me in a box because of something that I actually don't think and and define me by that and I and that's not the truth. Do you know what I mean? I, I feel like it's such a it's such a vast and potentially complicated subject, but it's not irrelevant and it's not something that even necessarily doesn't have real day consequences as well, right? So um, do people potentially live in greater benefit for certain uh, over other uh, over other people? Yes. What's the cause of that? Good question. Yeah. I think too. Again, it comes back to every one of us that are being formed into His likeness and into His image that we become partakers of the divine nature, where that isn't an issue. Now, until until we're all like that, there will still be those things that aren't worked out, which then becomes part of the process in which that's actually being out, outworked in us. And I, and I just, I love the fact that Jesus spoke and revealed himself as Messiah first to a woman and a Samaritan woman. You don't talk to me, I'm Samaritan and I'm a woman. He just smashed all those barriers, all that, all that stuff was smashed just by that simple act. That, that, and why would he? He does. You don't even walk through Samaria. So what's he doing there? You know. And so he's actually making an expression that's far above all this that we're actually being called into. And like you say, that you know, in this process, I'm like, oh my goodness. I just looked in the mirror and I didn't particularly like what I saw because he's revealed I actually have a, a bias in this regard. Thank you, Jesus. You took me to the garden to reveal that, that you can actually do a work within me that I'm not now walking in this, in this bias. Um, Jackie, I think that's a really important comment, you know, and I, I think the things, that we're ta- the things that we're talking about, particularly this, require a really deep, deep, deep work in our innermost being, right? You know, where where every shadow in our heart that is an expression of pride or selfishness or, you know, needs to be unveiled and and plucked out, you know, until we come to the point where we are truly in him and his love is formed in us, which looks like loving one another, you know, and and to me that like this like this like a lot of things that we've talked about here tonight and this morning are really we've used some typologies, we've had a laugh, but actually this is a really deep work that needs to happen, you know? And I think um and and like Chris was saying, and I really agree, you know, in painting the bigger picture, we're not trying to say that there that there isn't a deep and powerful work that needs to happen in someone. It it does, you know. But I also do think that sometimes things, I'd say there there are things that can become, um, if we see them through a natural lens, can become blown out of proportion and become bigger things, you know. So at the moment I think like racism is a really hot topic and rightfully so because there's been a lot of serious injustice around the world. But 
you know, there's been a lot of serious injustice in New Zealand, you know, in our own backyard. And so it's not saying that that's not important. What it's, for me, what it's saying is that actually the, the remedy is actually not found in looking at that. The, the remedy is found in him, that when we start to be, have righteousness formed within us, we're actually liberated above those things. And to me, it's the same as, you know, even, th- you know, for example, take something like, um, like gay marriage, you know? It's like, it's one of those, you talk about like racism and gay marriage, and then you talk about like lying, you know? It's like they ultimately, they're, they're three expressions of the same thing which is brokenness that sits in here, you know? And, it's, and, and to me, it's like there's a deep work that needs to happen in us to be able to set us free from all of those things. And like we were looking at this morning, we are talking about, you know, if you don't hate mother, brother, um, you know, your, um, your wife, even your own life, you can't be my disciple. To me, it's, it's in the closeness and the rightness of those things that the subtleties of self... Are, are found, you know, and to me it's like it's every stone needs to be turned over and every shadow needs to be driven out that the light would come in and we would live free from our unconscious biases, you know, and the things that we may have thought we were freed from but we weren't, you know, like to me this is the the deep work that, that he wants to do in us until we become a living expression of him and his life and love and, and we act, when love is, is truly formed so those other things, which are expression really of pride, don't entangle us and, and trap us anymore. You know, so I hope that's hope that's okay. You know, but thank you. Um, should we? Just because we've got a few more minutes. One more opportunity for questions. Oh, oh that's cool. Is there any? I mean, I, I was just picking up out of nine where it says that he's taken us out of darkness and into light. And he's saying, you are this. This is what has been done. And then he goes, when you read on through um, those next verses, he says, um, dear friends, I urge you now to live like this. So that having come out of this darkness where this darkness stuff happens, to come into the light that we now can live. And I urge you, live in this light. And when we get a, a, a revelation of what this um, is about and that what is you know, being offered to us the the marriage, you know, it's the the oneness, this posture of oneness in Christ, in God, that when we realise you can't have oneness, how would it be that if I was, you know, married with Anne, to Anne says, <laughs> well, Jesus didn't have any problem with saying that you'll marry me. You know, when he's, when he's, it's not this physical thing. I know, I know. So, but we've got to get, we've really got to grasp this. Because, uh, you know, a lot of people say, oh, I don't get this, you know, marriage, the man, how can a man marry? And it's, a, it's this whole thing with the, the living stones. You know, we're not going to turn up in heaven and be a rock. You know, I, I used to struggle. He says, you're a pillar, you'll be a pillar. I don't want to be a pillar, standing in heaven like this all day long. You know, it's, it's their typologies, their pictures for us to see so that when we grasp the marriage, what he's actually saying and why he says this, how is it, Fran, that I said, look, hun, I love you nearly all because I actually love you know, this other person and I love this other guy I see in the mirror more than you. 
You know, we're happy to be... You cannot have the true oneness that marriage is designed to be able to show when this, this love is not in the first place order. And that's what he's given to us, and that's why he's saying, you, can't, you cannot... It's not that I don't want you to have it. It's that you cannot have this if you're walking in that. And that's why I'm calling you and the difference to being saying I'm a disciple and actually being a disciple is where this work is being done informed in me that I'm coming into a greater revelation of this love having been taken now out of darkness and into light where these things are revealed. That's good. All right. Time for one, one, last, one last question or comment or thought. <laughs> sneaky, eh? Sneaky. <laughs> I think Warren owes us all a can of Coke. I'm using my own experience to be raised up in the Lord. Humbling myself I'm going to be raised up because God's given me weapons of warfare that are sort of pulling down the strong ones. And I'm good at using these weapons. And I fight with the blood of the Lamb and the word of my testimony. And um, I've got, I'll, I'll press on this with the, if anyone goes with me, I'll be living this. Because um, we're called to press on with this and press on with it. You know, even if others fall away, I'm still going to be doing this. You missed the last part of that passage there, Warren, that says that we overcome by the... Who can, who can answer that for me before we get to Rodney's question? The saints overcame by the blood of the Lamb, the word of their testimony. Not loving their own lives unto death. That's what we talked about this morning, isn't it? Rodney, you've got a question. No, I haven't got a question. I just, I just wanted to say thank you because um, if it's not revealed, you know, the reality, and I've become um, really just a babe in him again. And um, a while ago, recently, I was I texted the boys on it, and the. For the first time, I saw the difference between flesh and spirit, and when we were going through Corinthians, and then tonight, I, could, I again saw a spiritual reality of who I am and who I'm called to be. Um, yeah, just from tonight. So I just want to share testimony from it. Thanks, Rodney. That's awesome. That's awesome, Rodney. Good one. <laughs> cool. All right. I think that's us. That's us for the evening. Um, but um, let's let's pray, eh? Paul, do you want to pray, and then we'll um, we'll wrap it up. Thank you, Lord. What a privilege that we can call you Father, and that you have brought us into your household, the household of faith. So, Father, we do bow before you, Lord. We thank you that you have chosen us, and that you call us priests and kings, that you're building us as these living stones into a royal priesthood to minister spiritual sacrifices to you, to your glory, and that you see fit to call us in and to bring us and call us by your name. So, Father, tonight we thank you for your word. I thank you for the work that you're doing amongst us all, for all those that would hear and listen uh, on the recording and receive from you, just as Rodney said, revelation revelation that we're now this this spiritual family 
So, Lord, I pray that you continue to do what only you can do, transform our minds, renewing us and building us into your likeness, into your image, that we give glory to you, Father. And we thank you, Jesus, for your offering to us of life eternal. And so we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.